If you need a copy of God's Word, you can kind of slip your hand up and Chris and Mike will be glad to give it to you if you need it. Just kind of either slip your hand up or throw a chair at them or something. Else. WWE will do what we got. If we're going to WWE, I'm going to get on here by John Everson. He looks like he could handle that. Well, it's good to be back. I hope you, did you miss me last week? Oh, you weren't here? Oh. All right. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 15. If you'll take your hand out, we're going to pick back up in uh, our study of the book of Acts. Thinking about Memorial Day, many of you have heard me say over time and repeatedly that uh, I'm absolutely fascinated by anything World War II. Read, read stuff on it all the time. I, I love to watch uh, documentaries and a lot of stuff on the History Channel and other places. Uh, World War II and my father fought in World War II. I had an uncle who was wounded in Europe and they fought the Pacific. And, uh, Probably my two or three favorite movies of all time. It's one called The Longest Day from about 1962. Movie. It is The Longest Day if you don't watch that movie. It takes, but anybody who was anybody in 1962 was in that movie. From John Wayne to Henry Fonda to Richard Burton. Yeah, you name them, they were in that movie. And uh, people don't even know who they are, like Paul Anka and Fabian and uh, the pop singers. They were all, every, it was just an incredible movie. You can see some of the scenes that they showed and thinking about this, the D-Day, Normandy invasion. And, and then you're looking out at the ocean and suddenly just pops up thousands of vessels. And I was thinking about that last week. We were down in Florida. And just standing out of the ocean and just looking out at the horizon. And my son in law, who apparently got eyes like an eagle, could see stuff that uh, he's like, I said, Brian, what are you talking about? I, I can't even see you. So, but you look out at the horizon and you just all of a sudden just thousands of vessels and, and realize that most of those guys who dove off those and rode off those into that water at the beach, I mean, I'm 18, 19, 20 years old and realizing that this is the last day I live on planet Earth. And uh, we're fortunate that I'm not people like my father who had many, many faults, but uh, he went to those islands and did what they told him to do and served his country. And we should be grateful. I think one quick story about my dad. He was like me. He did not like animals of reptile or amphibious nature. I was the grass last week. I was the grass. I don't know if we could go. Mary came home and Mary was ready to leave. And she didn't like animals even worse than uh, my father and I. And it was a little bit of a turtle sitting in our driveway. I came out of the ditch behind the house. He got that baby. That's how he was sitting in the driveway. And she walked inside. She didn't even see it. She talked to me. I said, Mary, why don't you uh, relocate that turtle? It's by your right foot. And, and uh, she looked down. And I didn't realize my wife could get that far off the ground. I had a little up. She had to play basketball. But, so she leaves with the turtle still there. And I just left it there. And I finished cutting grass. And then myself. And, so I'm going to take the turtle. And we back in the ditch. We're gone. So I get ready to go in the house, and I keep these sandals by the back door, like soccer sandals, and, and I put my foot on soccer sandals, and the turtle was in there, and they're taking it out, and I, I disturbed his uh, time alone in my soccer sandals, so uh, he got relocated, all right? I'm not sure if it was the right way, but he got relocated. Anyway, during, during World War II, my dad fought in like, uh, Guacamole, Lake Island, the Pacific Islands, and he was in, in the tents they would have, they let iguanas wander around, and they were going to be lizards, and they let them wander around because they eat mosquitoes and other things, and so they had mosquitoes, and they let those iguanas wander around, but well, my dad was not fond of those things, and so he was asleep one night, and they put one on his chest. Uh, men being men, or boys being boys, that's as they would be, they set one on my father's chest. And uh, he didn't kill any Japanese, but he did, ki- did kill three of his friends. So. <laughs> All right, turn to Acts chapter 15. I, I want to take a moment as we get ready to start. We just pause, and I want to pray, but I want us to, uh, as, as we pray, just think about people that maybe you know have been uh, killed, uh, given their life for our country, uh, so we can be free, and we can do things like this. Uh, I think it's important that we remember that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that Jesus Christ is the one who sets us free. We thank you that we live in a nation with all its problems, it's free. And because of men who, and women who willingly went, not all of them, obviously some were drafted, but they went and they served and they did what had to be done so that we could be free. We are grateful uh, for their memories, for, for their sacrifice, uh, for even their families, even ones now that are deployed and are in danger. Lord, we just pray and thank you that they're doing that willingly. Voluntary military, they're doing that. We pray you protect them. Uh, Lord, we just thank you for the nation that we live in. We pray today as we look at your word, again, historically, we look at the facts where the church is, that we will be reminded that we are the church. We are the ones you have called to, to represent your name right now in our culture and let them know that there is a God who saves. And we thank you, Lord, we pray that God's name, Jesus. Amen. All right, for Acts chapter 15, if you look at the top of your handout, we're going to begin to look at Acts chapter 15 this week and next week. We're going to be looking at God's will. In ministry, how God works different ways. Historically, at the moment, we're looking at the history of the church. 
Paul's missionary journey number two is about to begin. And it's always important I want to keep reminding us as we come back and look at the book of Acts that remember what God is saying to us, that the theme of this series is Jesus taught us how to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, and then he said in the Great Commission, I want you to go. Literally what he said in the original language was, as you go, you're going to go, as you go, I want you to make disciples, learner, followers of me, and I will always be with you. That was the he ascended. You know, uh, the Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, you're going to receive power, I want you to go. I want you to teach, make disciples, learner, followers of me, I want you to teach them what I taught you, and I'm always going to be with you. And he told me to go in discourse, I'm going to go. We're going to get your place ready, and then we're going to come back for you. And the commission to his church, which we are, the commission to his church, his body, his body, the called out ones, that commission has not changed. I think it's really important that we remember in all that we do, the overwhelming call on our lives, individually and corporately, especially that the body of Christ is to make learner followers of Jesus. And let people know who he is, maybe not what they think he is, who he really is, what he did, what he's done in our lives, what he can do in theirs. That Christ came, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he conquered sin and death, that men might be set free. So when you get to Acts chapter 15, verse 36, here's where we are contextually in Scripture, and here's where we are historically in the life of the church. The Jerusalem Council was over, we looked at that for two, three weeks. And they established two primary things at the Jerusalem Council. The Gentiles were coming in and being saved in large numbers, and there were some Jews that were saying, oh, wait a minute, you've got to be a Jew, what are you going to be saved? And they looked at the Jerusalem Council and they established two things. Number one, salvation is by grace, not by works. You don't have to get circumcised, you don't have to become a Jew, you don't have to jump through any hoops to become a believer. And that became the pillar of the early church, the resurrection, and what is the gospel? That the risen Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, who is our Messiah, our Christ, you're saved by faith in his work on the cross and the resurrection, not by what you do. So whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you're saved these at the same way. That was pillar number one. Pillar number two is that the Jews and Gentiles together are one church. You're going to have different backgrounds, you're going to have different mindsets, you're going to look different, different cultural, different family issues. You're not going to look the same, but you are one. Incredibly important, Paul writes so much about the unity of the faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are the body of the risen Lord Jesus. We are his bride. He's going to come back one day. We're going to go to the very supper of the Lamb. And we're going to be with him forever. We're going to rule. We're going to reign with him. We're joint heirs with Christ. Oh, no. So number two, especially. Number one, you say, by faith alone, Christ alone, his work, not yours. Jew or Gentile, does not matter. The circumcision of the heart, Paul would later write to the book to the Romans. So, but we also want to not use our liberty as a reason to make another brother stumble. So whether it's eating or not eating kosher food, so that you might, as we're going to say here, circumcision or not being circumcised, so that you might share your faith with another person. Don't beat someone up with your liberty. Understand you're free. But also understand we want to have a relationship within the body of Barnabas remained in Antioch. This is now Antioch has now become like this is Antioch of Syria has kind of become the headquarters of the church as it goes out to the Gentiles. Teaching and preaching the word of the Lord where they've been leading and the Gentiles have been getting saved, the church has been growing, and they had to deal with the Jews and the Jerusalem Council. Now they come and come back from, the, from Jerusalem to Antioch and they're getting ready to go out of the council of the Jesus said, Go to the nations, that's Gentiles, they're Jewish. Now let's take it out to everyone, the gospel is for all. So they're back at Antioch, they're, they're resuming their great commission with the apostles and the elders from Jerusalem, we're all good, let's go, let's get back to work. But there are many others at Antioch also. And here's the point. Paul and Barnabas have died. they're there now. The journey's over, they come back and back early, don't do the Jerusalem Council issue. But now the call on their life. This is the whole idea of God's will in ministry. The call on their life was go and take that gospel. So they're going to get antsy to do what? Go. And there are many others also there at Antioch to teach the Gentiles there that are coming into the faith. In other words, they can now go back and resume their missionary journey knowing what? That the people at Antioch are well taken care of. We've got people there to disciple them, to bring them along, to teach them the faith, and help them mature so that they can do what? Take the gospel out themselves, where, wherever they are. If God calls them to go out, they go out. If God has them in wherever they might be, in Antioch, whatever, Pisidia, in Antioch of Pisidia, Antioch of Syria, uh, wherever they might be, we're going to see different places that Jesus' commission was, where, as you go. And so that principle for us is really important. We leave here today, we go to different places. Or the holiday, maybe in the same places. You may have to work. We're going to go different places Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We've got a whole group of people that are going to leave Saturday and go to go down and suffer for Jesus on the Gulf Coast. We'll be establishing Christ's church in the Gulf Coast. They're going to go down there. They're going to be different places. And sometimes you don't even know for sure where you're going to be on a particular day, on a particular week. But here's the point. It's so cool as a Christian as you, as you grip this and understand. Wherever you find yourself, in whatever your vocation, the call on your life over all else is that you're a Christian. You might be a Christian plumber. You might be a Christian teacher. You might be a Christian preacher. You might be a Christian preacher. You might, you might be a Christian professor. You might, be, you might own your own business. You might be people that work for you. You might work for other people. You might be a law You could be a firefighter. Whatever it might be. You're interacting with people in some way. And so God's will for you is you're a minister. Every believer is a priest. Everyone. I had an incredibly long conversation this week with someone who came out of a Catholic background was really struggling with the priest thing. And I said, you need to understand, Jesus is our superior high priest. The entire book of Hebrews what it's about. But every one of us, the elder shepherds, who lead the flocks, oversee. But every believer is a priest. We are a kingdom of priests. You represent God to people. And you take people to God through your prayer life. As you intercede on their behalf. 
in my prayers or the prayer of another pastor or teacher or priest are not any more significant than yours. I am a child of God because I'm in Christ. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, you're what? You're a child of God. You're my brother or you're my sister. Corporately, we're his body and his bride. We have different roles. But every one of us is called the ministry. So here's where we are. There they are. Gospel spreading like crazy. Rome, the Roman Empire, started to take note. If you study history again, you hear me say this all the time. If you want to take the Bible and throw it out in the trash, that's fine. A lot of people have done that. So literally, the most figuratively, the Bible's not important. It's not a big deal. Throw it out. I think it'll be history. It'll be history. But it's a secular historian. Remember by day, and just see what happened. Then the first three or four years after Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead, the Roman Empire was Christianized. It was turned upside down, as the book of Acts says. So Rome was beginning to take notice of the spread of these Christians and the Christianity thing. And the Marita, just a brief paragraph from an article that I read about that time, it said this. The Romans went to great expense and effort to build some huge pagan temples. They went to Egypt and they quarried stones for columns. They painfully moved them across the desert sands on rollers, floated them down the Nile River, shipped the pillars across the Mediterranean, dragged them up the valley or mountain ranges. It was a tremendous Herculean task. They did it in desperation to stop the spread of Christianity throughout that region. And who were the ones spreading Christianity? It was the people. As they exercised their gifts and were obedient to the second principle of the Spirit's guidance. You do not know what else to do. Persist in learning and teaching the Word of God. It's fundamental to all else. End quote. In other words, God places you somewhere, even as a parent. You're teaching, you learn yourself, you apply the Word of God, you teach it to your children, or if you're involved in the church, wherever it might be, at work. You're learning, applying the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, guides you there for that moment. There's nothing else. That's God's will for you. Now that can change. That can move you out of town. That can move you to another location. Things change. But that principle in your life is overriding. So Rome is desperate to stop. Paul's number two missionary journey is about to begin. And the church is seeking God's will in many, many areas. Here's the principle. Just do what God has told you to do, Jesus. Fulfill that great mission where you are until God moves you somewhere else. Give you a simple example from my life. I'm not go back to all that, maybe you've heard it. We won't go back over that. But just as a, as a salesman, a traveling salesman, that's what I was. No formal education, no training. I was just a traveling salesman and worked for teenagers in his church. And Mary sang and was involved in worship music, ministry and sang. And I had a good job, you know, helping cars, and all those good things. And this is involved in my church teaching teenagers to work with teenagers. A lot of vacations, I was like, well, I'll do everything I want to do with my church. And God just kept putting it in my heart. Don't you do this all the time? Don't you do this all the time? Don't you do this all the time? Don't you quit your job and do this all the time? We had two little girls, four year old and whatever she was, I don't know, 11. And I went to go to school. My degree was in a great institution over called Memphis, Memphis State University. That was my degree. It was in business. And I was, when I was doing my thing as a businessman, everybody I worked with, every, every Walmart or Target or whatever store I found myself in, and the guys that I traveled with, they all knew I was a Christian. And I did my job and when I was old, I shared my faith. And God said, So what you to do? So he went to Mary and she said, Well, it's about time you do what God wants you to do. So I went to my pastor thinking, if he's got any brain at all, he'll be fortunate enough to hire me and we'll roll on and he'll be good. And what he said was, we don't have a place for you, Randy. We want you to say you work as a volunteer, but we don't. We can't hire you. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, maybe this is what God wants me to do. And all I did was just keep doing it for the next year, because that's where God had me doing it right then. For the next year, I didn't change a thing. Did my job, family, kept teaching the Bible teenagers, working with them. One year later, I was with John Lambert Collins, and my brother says, that you might be interested in one of the ministry, would you like to talk to us about doing student ministry, youth ministry, talking about the band at our church. I know that may not mean you do youth ministry, you do adults, you do recreation, you do janitor. You... I had experience in that one. I've been a church, I'm going to be humble, church janitor for three years, which I was. So, obviously, that was 35 years ago. So, God moved me from where I was to a different part of Memphis to do that. Almost moved to Cleveland, Ohio. That's the headquarters of my company. When you're, when I was going on, they offered me a really cool job in Cleveland, Ohio, writing jokes. What happened to that? I don't know. But that's what they offered me. And I thought about it about five minutes, and I said, well, I'd like to do that, but Mary ain't moving to Cleveland, Ohio. So we probably ain't doing that. Again. So God had me there. He moved me. And I went started doing ministry there. He moved me again. He wants to. That's the principle. So let's begin to look at it. They're seeking God's will. God works in different ways. The first thing I want you to see in chapter 15 is how God can work in, in, in disagreement. God can work. I've heard a really cute story about a married couple, a couple. They're very naive. They got married kind of like Mary and I were. When we got married, I was 19, she was 18, and I didn't, I didn't know one thing about being a husband. I know, I think three things now, but I didn't know anything in 1973. Uh, and then we had a child in 1975, I never even changed the diaper, much less knew what it was. And I had to learn so much about being a husband and being, and being a father. And, and this couple gets married and very young, naive, and they think oh, we're Christian, everything always be fine. Never think that. Uh, didn't have arguments, don't you? So they began to have some disagreements and arguments, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't just the utopia they thought it was going to be. And they were getting frustrated, and finally the wife said, All right, here's what we're going to do. I've had it. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to take one of us home. And then after you're gone, I'm living with my parents. <laughs> God can work in disagreement. I want you to see what he does. All right, verse 36. Verse 36, chapter 15. There they are. After some days, from time to time, I'm going to move Paul said, Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city we have preached to the Lord. See how they are doing. Let's go back and retrace our steps from missionary journey number one. Let's go back and check on the people that we led to the Lord and people that we have taught. Let's go back and see how they're doing. I want you to see the priority of Paul and Barnabas. It's really cool. Verse 36. Now, so it's time to go. And notice what they want to do. They want to go back and visit our brethren where we have preached, see how they're doing. I want you to see the heart of the pastor here. Let's go back and see how they're doing. They love them. They cared about them. And they felt it was their responsibility to check up on them and make sure that things were going well. Make sure they were being disciplined, that they were growing. They don't, and any of these things are good. Now let's go back and check on the seeds we planted. Maybe want us more to see what's going on. Maybe even contextually, there's no question that this was going on. They need to go back to those places where they established churches and make sure the Judaizers had not proved them up. Pardon my term. Like they tried to do at Antioch. By coming in and adding to the gospel, we're going to go back and make sure they're not buying into the false teaching 
and Antioch is okay. I want you to I'm going to read you some verses. I want you just to listen to the heart of a pastor, specifically the Apostle Paul. To the church of Philippi, he writes these words in chapter 1. God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I want you to meditate on scripture sometimes. It's really valuable. How much I love you. I long for you. First Corinthians, he writes to them in chapter 9. If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Dan, none of you know Dan, but me, Dan, I made the last week's sermon. I listened to that sermon. The one thing I kept saying, he brought him to tears, and he's describing, standing outside an abortion clinic and trying to help. But he, just, he said, Look, wherever you find yourself, just preach the gospel. He kept saying it over and over. Just preach the gospel. Doesn't make, you don't have to be the greatest theologian in the world, but you know who Jesus is. And you know what he can do. And you know how he's changed your life. Preach the gospel. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He'll give you. He loves people. Mean what they are. Preach the gospel. Paul said, If I do that, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's my job. Preach the gospel. Woe to me. That's a powerful phrase. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel, Paul said. By the way, you think back. Where did Paul come from? Can you imagine after that road to the message experience, what's the one thing if you're the Apostle Paul you're thinking? How in the world? At least why in the world? Would he save me? You ever thought that about why would Jesus show grace to me? I mean, it's number one enemy. He's like me, and then he wants me to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Then in Romans 15, he says this. So I made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. In other words, I just want to keep going, keep going, keep preaching, and just go to places where nobody's been. I want, I want to preach the gospel to people who maybe haven't heard it yet. I just want to preach the gospel. And that should be your passion. Wherever you find yourself, I just want people to know. I want to love them, and I want to share with them. So here's history. Paul's second missionary journey. His initial plan is, all right, Barnabas, let's go quote verse 36. We visit every city that we went to on journey number one. That's Paul's plan. Which God, again, Paul, he knows this point, that's it. Well, God, I'm going to go back and do that. God had a bigger plan, didn't he? God's plan was this. No, we're not going to go back there. We're going to open vast new areas of the globe that you've never even been to. A place called Europe and other areas. That's what's going to happen. So, here's the context. You've got Paul and Barnabas, two godly, mature leaders. They agree. Let's go back on the mission for God. Now, here's the point. We'll get into it a little bit more. They, dis- they disagree on how we're going to do this. What's God going to do? He's going to take their disagreement and he's going to make it something good out of it. For just a moment, I want you to pause. Everybody knows the verse I'm about to quote, probably in your mind. I know what he's going to say. Romans 8 28. What's God doing in Romans 8, He's always working what? Good. To them that love him. To them that are called according to his purpose. He's always working good, even in a difficult circumstance. Doesn't mean I, I can't see the outcome. I don't, I'm not good in the moment. We're going to see they're not good in this moment. These are two godly, mature, probably the two most godly, mature men on the planet at that time. That God has used magnificently to expand the church. He's still doing that. And they're about to have a severe disagreement. So what I want you to see is they got the right priority. And God is even going to work great things good in the midst of their disagreement. God has a bigger plan. So let's look at their party, verse 37. The Barnabas was determined to take with him John called Mark. What's the next word? Right, so I'm going to wait. try again. What's the next word? But, as I told you, most important word in the Bible, Paul insisted that they should not take with him the one who departed from them in Pamphylia and not go with them to the work on the Shemitah. The contention became so sharp they parted from one another. So, they agree on what we need to do. They agree on the theology. Remember the Jerusalem Council? They disagree on this practical matter about Mark. These two guys had faced death together. They were not novices in the faith. Here's what I want you to see. They're both right, and they're both what? Wrong. They're both right, and they're both wrong. Now let's walk through this and see how God's going to work. Number one, verse 37, Barnabas is focused on Mark. By the way, it's important. Mark is his first cousin. Ah, I told you. Blood is thicker than water. That's really not. We've seen Barnabas. He's not doing it because Mark is his first cousin. Why is he doing it? What's, we talked about this before. What's Barnabas' gift? Encouragement. He's the son of encouragement. Is his nickname. Think back historically. After Saul of Tarsus was saved, and he went to the church and said, Hey, boys, I'd like to join. I'd like to be part of what's going on. What was their answer? There's no way unless Memphis we let this clown in. We all know who he is and what he's done. He ain't coming into our group. He ain't joining up. He put my brother in prison. He had my father executed. No. And Barnabas, because of his stature, his respect, who he was, he takes Barnabas Paul by the Saul of Tarsus by the hand and says, I'll vouch for him. Boys, I'll vouch for him. And because of who Barnabas was, what did the church say? All right, we'll take it. And God knows they weren't all happy about it, right? But we'll take it. Barnabas had that kind of stature. His gift was encouragement. He's looking at Mark, realizing Mark had failed him and let them down. It might have been too much of a danger in the church. Whatever it was, it was too much for Mark. And he went back, he couldn't do it. Barnabas is looking at him and wants to extend grace to Mark, despite the desertion. Because of his gift of encouragement, he's determined. Notice verse 37. Barnabas was determined. I want to make sure you see this word. The word determined here means, the tense of it means, he was adamant and persistent. He's not the guy who's going to get up in your face like Peter. But he was adamant. He was insistent with Paul. We're taking John Mark with us. Now, verse 38. Paul's focus was not on Mark. Well, let's be fair. Paul's focus is on the mission ahead of them. When they tried to do this mission before, they needed Mark. When they Mark done, he couldn't do it. He went back. Paul said, "I'm not going through that again. I'm not taking Mark this time." 
I don't have any patience for what I'm not doing it. You want to ask that before? I'm not thinking. Now, I want you to notice verse 38 again. You see the word insisted? You see that word? In Greek, the fifth, it means he was equally as adamant as Barnabas was. But nobody ever solved this problem, apparently, it's to throw down. It'd be like John Everson and my son Ryan. You take two big men and whoever survives, that's what we'll do. That's, it wasn't. The Greek here is, and I'll make sure you see this Barnabas is focused on the person, Paul is focused on the work. They're both right, but they're also both wrong in that they sin and how they deal with it. Look at verse 39a again. 39a. The tension became so sharp, they parted from one another. And the phrase so sharp means violent emotions got involved. They're going to fight over this. Please see this for what it is. What had been their message at the Jerusalem Council to the people who were saying to the Gentiles, hey, you want to be part of our group? You've got to become like us. The will accept you. You want to be one with us? You've got to become a Jew. And what had been the, the strong, I won't use the term I used a few weeks ago, late, Paul and Barnabas were incredibly hacked off at the Judaizers that had come down from Jerusalem, and their message was what? We believe on the people of Christ, but faith alone in Christ, 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 alone in their message is Jerusalem Council in unity, and there's no unity here. Here's the other thing that's happening. And I've been through this many cases with people. Satan's just stepped in, and he knows what buttons to push. And he's pushing it. Barnabas, you love your cousin. You can't let Paul do this to him. You can't. If Paul, you know that mission is more important than anything else. You can't take that clown to you again. He lets you down. So instead of saying, all right, we're going to do this, they just said, get it. And they split. Here's what I want you to see. Barnabas is never mentioned again in the book of Acts. Never again. And he's been vital up to this point. Just talking about that. He's never mentioned again. The years of ministry they've had together ends right here. And later, they reconcile. And what's interesting is, shows you how God does things. Paul has no use for Mark at this point. No use. I'm going to quote you a verse from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Last thing Paul ever wrote before he died, he's writing to Timothy, his son of the faith, who's going to take the place here on the mission trip, and we'll see. Timothy, his protege, his son of the faith, he writes to him. Last thing he wrote before he died, kind of like, Timothy, here it is. Here's my last one of you, and you take it and you run with it. In that book, he writes that epistle. He writes these words to Timothy. Only Luke is with me. Luke is about to join the group. Or start talking about himself. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. See that? We know exactly what happened, but here's what we know. God worked in the lives of both. Paul's wrong right here. Part of this wrong in the fight. They split. But they later straighten that out. They repent and get it right. And somehow Paul and Mark reconcile. Paul said, I'd really like to see him. Bring him. He'll be useful to me. Ministry. And what you see later on historically is Mark ends up working with both Paul and Peter. He writes one of the Gospels of the life of Jesus Christ with Peter. Through the disagreement, what does God do? He works good. He works good. So now we look at verse 39. Let's look at the plan of both, of God, both men and we'll be done today. 39. Verse 39. The end of it. So Barnabas took Mark and he sailed to Cyprus. So his partner is now Mark, not Paul. Verse 40. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being committed by the brethren to the grace of God. Paul's new partner is him, not Barnabas, but Silas. I want you to see the big picture. They had a plan. We're going to go back on missionary journey. We're going to go back on number two. We're going to go back on number one. This is those people again. What was God's plan? Now we're not going to do this. Now. We're going to go two different directions. So if you've got Paul going this direction with Silas, you've got Barnabas going this direction with Paul, which way is the gospel going? Both. Both. Much more territory to get covered. Many more people we get saved. Many more we get discipled. God's will all along. Maybe I'm going to have, because he's sovereign. I'm going to have two mission groups going out. And the result is, not Paul's plan, but God's plan. The gospel ends up in Europe. Silas becomes incredibly important. He's a Roman citizen. He's Jewish. He was skilled in Greek. Those things are going to become really important as Paul proceeds because he was a Roman citizen, becomes important. So let's finish this up God's will, this area of disagreement. No marching principle in our lives as Christians and interacting with each other. Jesus made very clear repeatedly how is the world going to know we're Christians? We love each other. We love each other. Does not mean we agree on every issue. Does not mean we're going to agree on, on Mark, but we can love each other through it. Paul and Barnabas did not love each other in the moment and they split later. They straighten that out. Second, unity is absolutely vital for the church to be what it should be. Unity does not mean total agreement on every issue. It means charitable or loving disagreement, understanding we share a life, the Christ life, because disagreements are inevitable. I want to read you a quote from Jesus Christ, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. In the upper discourse, he's getting ready to end that. He begins to pray. Pray to the Father about the glory we had before the world began. It's an incredible passage, John 17. And in verse 20, he says these words to the Father as he prays. I do not pray for these alone, talking about in the room with him, the 11. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, that would be you and me and all these people who've gotten saved over the last 2,000 plus years. That they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you. They also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. They'll see our love for each other, our unity together. That's how the world will know that our God is real. It's not religion. We do life together as Christians. Even in disagreement, God can work. His will is all that matters. Thank you, guys, please.
Father, as we close out our time together today, sharing the Lord's Supper, we just simply pray that we would honor you in our individual lives as we examine our hearts before you and think about the body of Jesus Christ broken, the blood of Jesus Christ spilled that we might be forgiven, that he conquered sin and death, and he gave us a new covenant, and the new covenant is in his blood and in his body, and that we are to love one another. Challenge us, Father, motivate us to just do your will where we are and seek your will in all we do. We commit this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.